If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to uh, open them up. Uh, we've made it to uh, Acts chapter 8. We're going to try to go through this whole chapter because um, <clears throat> there's a theme in here where it's, if you read this <clears throat> like I have for so many years, Sometimes these stories seem a little bit disconnected. There's actually three stories involved in this one chapter. It starts off with uh, the stoning of Stephen and him getting buried, which causes the scattering of a lot of the believers in Jerusalem. <clears throat> then you have uh, Philip going and preaching the gospel and uh, a magician gets saved. And there's some weird stuff that goes along with that. And then how many of us here remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch uh, along the road and he baptizes him and he comes up out of the water and Philip just kind of disappears. <clears throat> it seems like that those uh, stories um, are just individual stories um, and a little bit, they might be a little bit disconnected, but they're actually not. And so since we like to read our Bibles in context, uh, I want to follow through this uh, so that we can see this incredible story unfold for us. So we're going to start with in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> we'll read these first four verses. Uh, and as we get started, we pray that God would honor the reading of His Word. Amen? <clears throat> so... Um, Starts off in verse 1, and it says, And Shaul was giving approval to his death. That's talking about Stephen, uh, picking up from Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> and on that day there was a great persecution against the assembly, which, is, which was in uh, Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the countries or regions of Judah and the Shomron. Uh, that's Samaria. Uh, before I go any farther so that you understand geographically. I tried to find a good map that would show this. I really couldn't find one. But you have to think in terms of the Galilee is in the far northern part of Israel. You have the Sea of Galilee. You have the Jordan River <coughs> flows down, goes by Jerusalem there, ends up, uh, basically ends up in the Dead Sea. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Uh Starting from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee is the area called Samaria. You're familiar with that. But in the Scriptures version here, and um, if you go into Israel, this is how they refer to that area. They refer to it as the Shomron, which is a way of saying Samaria. And it literally means uh, like a watchtower or a mountain that someone would be watching from, so to speak, or a watch mountain. It's not one that you would watch. It's a, a tall mountain that they would uh, keep an eye out from. So this is where Philip goes, and a lot of the people <clears throat> go that, uh, that direction, okay, from this persecution. And they were all scattered throughout the area there of Judea. That's why it says the area of Judea, <clears throat> which would be, the southern part of Israel, uh, and then up into Samaria. <clears throat> and it says, everyone went, picking up again in verse 1, except the apostles. So the apostles stay in Jerusalem, <clears throat> but all the other disciples start scattering. Verse 2 says, and dedicated men buried Stephanos, or Stephen, and made great lamentation over him. But Shaul was ravaging the assembly, entering every house and dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. Then those who had been scattered went everywhere, bringing the good news, the word. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we're finishing up the story there in chapter 7 where Stephen gives his sermon. They drag him out. They start stoning him. They're laying their coats down at the feet of this young man or this man named Shaul who becomes the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> and when you study through this and you start seeing that immediately Paul or Shaul starts persecuting 
the believers in Yeshua <clears throat> immediately. He's dragging them off and putting them in prison. He's already got the authority to do this. And a lot of commentators believe that Paul was already at least, he's probably part of the Sanhedrin itself, maybe not the high council of the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, but at least a member of the Sanhedrin and was literally being groomed to become an exceedingly powerful rabbi uh, in the religious order. And so he's ravaged. So what happens is this, they stone Stephen, but what you have to remember, if you go back what we talked about last week, this turned into mob rule. <clears throat> so on, in one sense, you have the city that is like being overtaken by believers in Yeshua. <clears throat> They're lining people up in the streets getting healed. The next thing we see is that Stephen is being stoned by the other side of the camp, the other side of the tracks, or however you want to phrase that, this other group of people that were not believing in this, and a lot of them were these Hellenistic Jews. They're the ones that stirred everything up about Stephen. Remember us talking about that? <clears throat> because Stephen was one of the first deacons elected we saw in, in chapter 6. All of those guys have these Greek names, and so they're these Hellenist Jews that become part of that. <clears throat> so what ends up happening is an absolute switch, a flip to where in one sense, followers in Jesus are taking over the city. People are getting healed of all kinds of stuff, laying out in the streets. The next thing you know, they, these people, and we're talking thousands, were run out of town. So you have to picture, this was violent, Okay, we're not talking about 50 people, 100 people. We're talking that thousands of people by this time are literally run out of town violently. People were violently put in prison. Men, women, children didn't matter. <clears throat> we're just dragging them off and putting them in, in, in prison. They leave Jerusalem. They scatter to wherever, probably ran to friends and family's houses or, or, or whatever, <clears throat> And a lot of them took off up north, not past Galilee, but there in the area of Samaria. And then verse four jumped out at me. <clears throat> it's absolutely amazing. Verse four, then those who had been scattered went everywhere preaching the gospel. Would you say that these people were radically saved? <clears throat> That's obvious, right? They get run out of town. <clears throat> They've got family and friends, who knows, whatever, that are in jail back in Jerusalem. The early believers there in Jerusalem became, came under such persecution. This is where you see where the Apostle Paul starts entreating all these early believers, these churches, to give money to help the persecuted believers in Jerusalem, okay? <clears throat> That's found in the letters of Paul. We're not going to deal with that, but it's just so that you understand that this persecution doesn't stop. I mean, it's just ongoing. This is onslaught <clears throat> of hatred towards believers in, in Christ. And we see here in verse 4, <clears throat> they're, they're on their way. These people lost their homes, they know people that have lost their lives. They left town, watch this, with the clothes on their backs. They didn't have time to sell their house, sell their belongings and buy something else because they lost their job. You following that? I mean, they're, they're having to leave town with the clothes on their backs. That's a horrible situation to find yourself in. These are... Refugees with nothing. What do they do? They show up preaching the gospel. Oh, that we could have a heart like these people. <clears throat> but watch this. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, 
Joseph is talking to his own brothers and he says, and you intended evil against me, but God intended it for good in order to do it as it is to this day to keep great many people alive. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So that he was telling you guys sold me into slavery thinking I would die. But Joseph understood that even through all of that, God was involved in all of it and put him in a position to save the very lives of the people he loved and the very people that tried to kill him. Isn't it true how that happens, right? Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that all matters work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God can take the evil meant in our lives and work it out to good. Unless it's evil that we start up on ourselves. I mean, if you're out there doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, and you get sick or you get in trouble or you get thrown in jail, can God work that out for good? Yes, he can, but it's not that he caused all. You stirred up the pot. Does that make sense? Um, In other words, I don't believe it was God's will for you to be sinning or doing something dumb that got you in trouble. But God knows all that and he can weave it together if you love him. If you love him and and are his and are called and, and you're called into his family and he will work it all out according to his purpose. Meaning he knows all things, you're his, and he will work it out for our good. That's good news, isn't it? Um, so this is what happened. So we have to understand that this is what started all of this and it's key to understanding what's about to happen, what we're about to see. So it was mob rule of these Hellenist Jews. They stoned Stephen, Saul or Shaul, becomes the the Apostle Paul, uses this to keep the crowd stirred up. We've got to stop this mess. So this persecution arises and everybody scatters, right? Now let's pick up. In verse five, and it says, and going down to the city of Shomron, Philip proclaimed the Messiah to them. So Philip goes and proclaims the Messiah to them. You can't understand this story if you, don't un- if you forget this. Who is Philip? Philip is one of the Hellenist Jews. He was a contemporary of Stephen. He's one of the first deacons that was selected to solve the problem in the early church where <clears throat> the... Hellenist Jews, it seemed to them at least, that they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food and resources for the Hebrew-speaking Jews, the pure Jews, if you will. Does that follow? And so Philip is one of those six that God elected. He's a Hellenist Jew, okay? He goes where? To Samaria, Shomron. Folks, That's the area today they call the West Bank. A large part of that is called the West Bank. If you talk to Orthodox Jewish people, they will not call it the West Bank. They will refer to it as the Shomron. That's where he goes. So this is why it becomes important to to, to read this in context so that you can follow this story. Um, this is going to become important. Why? Because this is another passage that people have a tendency to distort when you yank a sentence out of context where Peter and John show up and they lay hands on these early believers for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And certain groups of people will take that verse and just run amok with it. We'll get to that in a second. But this is why it's important to understand it in context what is going on, 
Does that make sense? <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So he goes down and he's proclaiming the Messiah to them. Look at this in verse 6. <clears throat> and the crowds with one mind, with one heart, they heed what Philip is saying. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So just like Stephen, Philip is performing many signs and miracles, wonders. Man, it, it was amazing. <clears throat> In verse 7 it says, For unclean spirits came out of many, demons came out of them, who were possessed and they were crying with a loud voice. Many that were paralyzed and lame, crippled, were healed. And it says, and there came to be great joy in that city. He's literally in the city of Samaria, the capital. Does that make sense? And so what's happening now is <clears throat> Philip is preaching the gospel. There's miracles happening. So many people get saved in the city that the whole town is rejoicing over it. It says, great joy was throughout the city. <clears throat> then, it, then we pick up in verse 9, before, and then we're going to try to tie this together. But you know what? There was a guy there in the city, Simon or Shimon. <clears throat> and you know what? He used, it says, formerly he practiced magic. A lot of it sleight of hand, and maybe some of it wasn't. In the city, and he was astonishing the people of Samaria. He was claiming to be somebody great. To whom they were all giving heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this one is the power of God, which is great. <clears throat> There's a lot of debate about that comment. Thinking that he was actually the head of a, um, an order, basically of witches because <clears throat> he was practicing magic, casting spells and stuff, and that he had reached a high level in this order. <clears throat> Verse 10, to whom they were all giving heed from the least to the greatest, from the least person in the city to the greatest. So in other words, this man had a lot of respect and power in the city. Does that make sense? <clears throat> to the greatest within the city. He had an ear. He had respect. These people thought that this was a man of great power. <clears throat> Verse 11. And they were given heed to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So they were really listening to him. <clears throat> if he said something, they were paying attention. Why? Because he had been practicing this magic in the city for a long time. Are you remembering the fact that we're still basically in Israel? Right? And he's been doing this for a long time. Don't forget who we're talking about here. These are the Samaritans. The ten tribes, specifically Ephraim and Manasseh, who had the largest area up there. <clears throat> um, and the debate was that they were the true descendants of Joseph because they were really his sons. Therefore, and that led to this, also this belief that they could write their own Torah. They had their own version of the, of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. <clears throat> it went on and on. We talked about that. You have to remember that's where they are. It's going to become important in just a second. <clears throat> once again, it says, to whom they were all giving heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this one is the power of God, which is great. And they were giving heed to him for a long time. He had amazed them with their magic. And when they believed Philip, as he brought the good news, you might want to underline this. <clears throat> and when they believed Philip, as he brought the good news about, and then it lays it out. The reign of God, meaning the kingdom of God, and the name of Yeshua as the Messiah. 
both men and women were baptized. And Shimon all himself also believed. Simon, the, the magician. Simon also believed. And when he was immersed, when he was baptized, he continued following Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which took place. <clears throat> now watch this. You ever wonder why I used to... <clears throat> Why would it be that Philip would show up, apart from the, just the movement of God? I get that. But I'm also just thinking in practical terms. <clears throat> what was it about this message where Philip shows up in the town of Samaria? Simon the magician's there. He's been practicing magic for a long time, and he has amazed everybody from the least to the greatest. Philip shows up, starts preaching, and almost everybody believes the gospel. And you go, uh, is it really that easy? I mean, <clears throat> what, 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 what's going on here that we're not seeing? <clears throat> Back up. Two tribes, northern tribe, southern tribe, 10 tribes had their own Torah, everything else, the country is split. You following that? <clears throat> There's been the division. The 10 northern tribes were conquered by Assyria in 722 BC. It's been now close to 800 years. 800 years. <clears throat> Philip shows up and he starts preaching. <clears throat> What does he preach? He's going to preach the full gospel message, which is the kingdom of God through Yeshua the Messiah, the restoration of all things. That is why these people up there in Samaria go, oh, excuse me, what? Whoa. <clears throat> This is the restoration of all things that we've been hearing about forever. He's going to restore us with them. Are you kidding me? Wow, sign me up. Look at all these miracles. Look what's happening. Yeah, we've heard about what's going on. There's all these people that are now up here and everywhere we're hearing news of, I mean, turmoil going on in Jerusalem. What is going on? <clears throat> It's because of all the turmoil and everything that's going on. The country is being turned upside down and inside out. They know this. Refugees have showed up. They show up after losing everything, doing what? Preaching the gospel. That's not normal. You would typically want to show up and say, we need to get counsel we need to get legal counsel. We need to go, you know, we need to fight. We, we got rights. I mean, for crying out loud, I got mama's jewelry back there that some moron is now wearing, right? I mean, that's kind of how we would be feeling, you know, wanting justice. We don't see that anywhere in here. It says they show up, they start preaching the gospel. People are like, whoa, what's going on? Philip shows up, he starts preaching the gospel. What's he preaching? The kingdom of God and the Messiah, Yeshua. That's that little thing that sometimes we read over and don't pay attention to. That's going to become key in understanding the rest of this. And then now what we're going to have is a comparison, watch this, between Simon the magician and the Ethiopian eunuch. Which is amazing. <clears throat> Folks, so that we could try to wrap our brain around why this would click so easily. We're Americans, right? And we split off from whom? England, the Brits. Just suppose, what if, just, let's just play a mind game for a second. What if we had all heard of this 
prophecy how that England was going to bring about salvation and unity to the world. Uh, and he was gonna, was gonna do it through this great big nation, and then we split off, and then all of a sudden we find out there's this guy shows up and that we could be reunified and not lose any of our independence and everything, but we could be a collective one, even with England, and we could bring about world peace. And we'd been looking for that ever since this, you know, the Revolutionary War. Wouldn't we all go, whoa, let's sit down and talk about that, right? Maybe. Some of you are like, I don't want to go back to England. <laughs> But, but we were split off from England, technically speaking, right? It would be paramount to that of thinking of the nation being healed back together, the kingdom being healed back together in one, without a schism, without any kind of division or animosity or anything, where we would all go, we actually love each other actually get along. That would be a miracle in and of itself, right? <clears throat> that's, what they, that's what they understood from their Bible. So Philip shows up and he starts preaching this and it says, and you know what? Even Simon the magician believed. We'd all go, hallelujah, amen, that's pretty cool, right? Except we're gonna see Simon's heart and it's not quite... Right, and as a matter of fact, we see a little hint to this here in verse 13 where it says Simon believed and he got baptized and he's like, I'm hanging out with Philip. I'm, I'm, I'm staying close to Philip. <clears throat> and it says he was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which took place. What was it that Simon was doing up to that point? He was able to gain power, money, prestige, influence, fame, and fortune through his workings of miracles and magic. He sees Philip. He sees this happening, and he's like, I want in on this. So what does he do? He stays close to Philip. So it skips now to, in verse 14, where... The apostles back in Jerusalem, they get word about what's going on up in Samaria. <clears throat> Verse 14, it says, when the emissaries, when the apostles who were in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, heard what was going on in Samaria and that they had received the word of God, what do they do? They send Peter and John up there. <clears throat> Pete, John, you guys go up there and check this out, see what's going on. These are Samaritans. Um, <clears throat> I don't have chapter and verse. It's uh, back in John, I believe. Uh, you remember the story where Jesus goes to the woman at the well? <clears throat> the, he sends the apostles into town to get food. They come back. They travel around. They come back through that same general area and try to get food again, and they're rejected. John, and I think it was John and James, I don't think Peter was involved in this, but John, John was for sure. And they literally asked Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them just like Elijah? <laughs> Talk about things being turned upside down. Now John is sent. <clears throat> Peter and John are sent to go to Samaria. The same people that they were not that long ago were like, Hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and just consume them? Bunch of evil, mean and nasty, just, you know, McNasty people. We just need, like, God, just, let's just consume them. Of course, Jesus tells them, obviously, no. Now John and Peter and John are sent there to, let's, you know, y'all go, go and, and check this out. So verse 15, it says, and when they came, they prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Were these people already saved? Yes, they were already saved. And it says, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of Yeshua. 
Well, I thought when you got baptized in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. Well, here it says they hadn't fallen on them. This is where some people will say, you see, you can get saved and not have the Holy Spirit. And so what you really need to do is you need to come on down and let me hit you on the forehead or whatever and lay hands on you so that you can get the Holy Spirit. You need to get the baptism. You got to get the Holy Spirit. Can we just please read our Bibles in context and understand what in the world is going on? The rest of Scripture clearly teaches that at the time of your salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, this is immediately following the great persecution in Jerusalem, and they're all scattered, and a lot of this is going on in Samaria. Who were, they were seen as traitors. They were seen as half-bloods. They were seen as dogs. Your Orthodox Hebrew pure Jews, if you will, I'd use that term loosely, hated them. That's why it was so easy for John a few months earlier to say, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven, just kill them? They wouldn't give us any food. Man, they'd run us out of town. Let's just kill them. This is the same reason we're going to see where God God has to show up to Peter and tell him, you need to go with Cornelius, you need to get these people saved. It's not about food, it's about him going there because Peter had a problem. He was prejudiced. And it shows up later where Paul has to call him out publicly for what he was doing. Peter had a problem with this stuff. They hated each other, and they had their own Bibles. They had their own priestly system. They had their own temples. Does that make sense? God is in the business of restoring it. Philip shows up, and Philip is who? He's a Hellenistic Jew. They're all receiving this ready. going, you mean a Messiah showed up, and he's going to restore everything? And they're hearing it from a Hellenistic Jew. Great. Count me in. Look at all these miracles. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'm good to go. We get baptized. They don't receive the Holy Spirit yet. Why would God do that? He doesn't tell us, so we have to speculate a little bit. When you understand the groups that it's happening between, it becomes obvious that what God wants them to understand is he's trying to reconcile everything correctly, right? correctly according to the Bible and not somebody else's version of the Bible, and he doesn't want this schism to to continue, especially with new believers in Yeshua. He doesn't need any of this, yeah, but we've got our own Bible. Yeah, we've got our own version. Yeah, we've got our own temple. Okay, Jerusalem gets wiped out in 70 AD, no big deal. We still got temples up here. Okay, just come on up here. We'll just keep. He doesn't need all of that stuff. Does that make sense? It actually becomes very easy to understand with some common sense to go, this is exactly what's going on here. So it says they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit in verse 17. And then Simon sees it in verse 18. Shimon sees it through the laying on of hands of the apostles that the Holy Spirit was given. So what's he do? He offers them money. And look what he says. Give me this authority also. Give it to me. I'll buy it. I'll pay you. So that anyone I lay hands on are going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, on the surface of wanting to be able to lay hands on somebody so they can receive the Holy Spirit is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, just from a humanistic perspective. And you got to remember, what did Simon just see? These people got saved, and then something else happened, and they got the Holy Spirit. He's not making this connection. But he's also, his heart is wrong, and he's going to get called out on it. Peter, Kepha, sees it immediately. And he says to him, let your silver perish with you. I don't want your money. Because you thought to buy the gift of God through money? You have neither part in this matter. And then look at this. 
You have, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. <clears throat> For your heart is not right before God. He calls him as, the problem, Simon, is your heart. Your heart's not right. Then look what he tells him to do. Repent, therefore, of this evil of yours and plead with God to forgive you the intention of your heart. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by unrighteousness. Simon supposedly is already saved. My opinion is that he's not, or he wouldn't have done this. And Peter's bringing this out, speaking by the Holy Spirit. I see that you're still bound in unrighteousness and bitterness. You thought you could buy the gift of God with money? And then he tells him, Simon, you know what you need to do? You need to plead with God yourself that he'll forgive you of this evil. And Simon's response to me tells me he still does not get it. He still doesn't get it. Look what he says. Simon answered and said, plead with God for me. You do it. So that none of what you said is going to come upon me. You see, Simon was involved in, I'm going to call it Christianity, for what he could get out of it. What he saw happening wasn't really that different, according to Simon, than what he was already doing. And it's going to involve the restoration of all things. So we're talking about not just the town of Samaria. We're not talking about just the district of Samaria, the northern area of Ephraim. We're talking about the reunification of Israel to rule the world. Uh-oh. Hmm. Opportunity. You see that? <clears throat> Opportunity. And so Peter calls him out on it and says, Simon, you know what you need to do? You need to cry out to God and plead to God that he'll forgive you of this evil. Simon still, can't, no, no, you do it for me so that none of that, and I don't want this evil to happen to me. He doesn't care about the evil in his heart. He doesn't want the problem to happen. He doesn't want him to be judged and condemned for it and perish. He also doesn't want to lose his money. Simon says, your money perish with you. What? No, 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 no. You beg God for me. I want you, I want you to see something here because this is why this is important. <clears throat> when Philip comes and he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching what? He's preaching the restoration of the kingdom of God and Messiah Yeshua. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm a Baptist pastor and I've been doing this for a long time. <clears throat> But it seems like 99% of the time when we preach the gospel, here's what we typically preach. Come to Jesus and he will heal you of whatever is plaguing you. Come to Jesus and he'll forgive you of your sin and you'll get freed from your addiction. You're going to get whatever, Does, right? Which is typically what we hear. Is that wrong? No, but it's only half the story. It's only focusing on the personal benefit. It's only focusing on what you will get when you come to Jesus. Those are all true. Will he heal you and help you and redeem you and deliver you from addiction and problems and sin and demons and all that stuff? Yes. Is that the end goal? No. Those are the benefits of coming into his kingdom. Those are the benefits of a total surrendered life over to him. You don't come to Jesus to get. You give up everything. <clears throat> you surrender everything. And you come before Yeshua, and then he does all these other things. <clears throat> Is it any wonder that we can run into Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian <clears throat> plagued with problems that are obvious sinful problems. Because if the focus is only come to God and he'll give you blank, there's no commitment other than, yeah, show up at church, pray hard, give money, blah, blah, blah. 
which means nothing, right? Everybody here understands that. <clears throat> uh, it's a one-sided, self-centered message. But when you preach the kingdom of God being restored and established on this earth, and watch this, it's not just a spiritual kingdom of God within you, and we're going to be ghosts in heaven one day. You understand that? That's not true. It's a physical kingdom of God on a physical earth, this one, and eventually a totally restored earth with physical resurrected physical bodies reigning and ruling in the physical realm on behalf of the God of all creation. That's what he's invited us into. Therefore, when he invites us into that, <clears throat> giving up anything and everything to follow him is like, well, easy. But when you come to God to get something, well, you're playing with the wrong deck of cards. Simon comes into this to get something. His focus is on what am I going to get out of this? And he's challenged... <clears throat> You know what you need to do, Simon? You need to ask God. You need to plead with God for forgiveness. Don't ask somebody else to do it for you. You need to do this. <clears throat> you do realize, I can't even fix Paul, much less you. I, I'm a mess. Um, so don't depend on me to fix you. I can pray for you, pray with you. I can try to give you some counsel. I can tell you where I've been and what God's done with me. And if he can do it with me, he can do it with you. But you do, my prayers are not any better at all than yours. I, <clears throat> mine are not any better than yours. <clears throat> You know, when I first surrendered to the ministry, and I kind of called my family out on it a little bit, but I'd go to family dinners, and, and you know, when you surrender to the ministry, well, you're the one that's going to get called on to pray. Paul, you need to lead us in prayer. And I'm like, okay. Paul, you need to lead us in prayer. Every single time, we get, Paul, lead us in prayer. So it got to where I would be the first one to say, hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you pray for us for dinner? I would ask first and assign somebody else because I'm like, my prayers are not any better because I thought God was calling me to preach doesn't make me more holy than anybody else. Does that make sense? <clears throat> we do the, in other words, we do the same kinds of things. Why are we doing that? Because we don't understand our involvement in the kingdom. We've listened to a one-sided message. Come to Jesus and get something. No. Let's get involved in his kingdom that he's invited us into and everything else is just gravy. Amen? So we've got this story in here. Now you're going to see why these stories are not disconnected. It's not, oh, this happened, then all of a sudden Philip goes over here, you know, and then all of a sudden he goes over here and God's just busy spreading the gospel. Why would God have this in the book of Acts trailing one another? Folks, it's to show us something. They're not in here haphazard just by happenstance. Oh, let's stick this story in there. Oh, let's stick this story in there. God doesn't operate like that. In verse 25, it says, Then after they had earnestly witnessed and spoken the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem, bringing the good news in many villages of the Samaritans. They were saying, look, this is not just in the town of Samaria. They come back to Jerusalem saying, this is spreading everywhere, right? <clears throat> you have to understand now also because the Jews in Jerusalem don't trust the Jews in Samaria. The Jews in Samaria don't trust the Jews in Jerusalem. They don't trust each other. That's why this is going to come up in Acts chapter 15 and in Acts chapter 10. So they're telling him it's, it's spreading everywhere. Then watch this. Verse 26 says, But a messenger of God, he speaks to Philip. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and he says, Arise and go towards the south along the way, 
which goes down from Jerusalem to Asa. This is the desert. It was called a desert road because there wasn't anything out there. And he rose and he went. Talk about faith. Let's just stop just for a second. It's, it kind of reminds me of Abraham, right? Go into a land that I'm going to show you. So he packs up and goes. Does he know where he's going? No. He just knows he's supposed to go. <clears throat> At least Philip was told where to go. So the Holy Spirit tells him, you need to get up and you need to go on this road. It's out in the desert. There ain't nothing out there. Philip doesn't go, uh, how come? What's up? Can I stop off at 7-Eleven on the way? I mean, you know, doesn't add, he, just, he just gets up and goes. <clears throat> Verse 27, so he arose and he went and he saw a man of Cush, a eunuch, watch this, of great authority. Here it is. It's not just anybody. Simon the magician was a man of great authority and power that Philip led to the Lord and baptized, but wanted to buy the power to hand out the Holy Spirit. Peter calls him out, and it seems obvious that he's not really saved. Philip is told by the Holy Spirit, just go out there on the desert. There's nothing out there. God foreordained for us to have a comparison here so that we can see that God's after our heart. It doesn't matter where we're coming from. And we've got two people now of great power and authority. Watch this. And it says, he was a eunuch of great authority under Kandike, the sovereignist of the Cushites. So he is under her authority directly and he's in charge of all of her treasury. Look at this. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he went to Jerusalem to worship. That should tell you something. Okay? He's a eunuch of great authority and power in charge of this dignitary's money. So he's already a person that is inclined... <clears throat> to worship God and has a heart for the truth. He has enough um, authority and respect to be allowed to go there and do that. Right? That's, he went to Jerusalem to worship. <clears throat> Could have been there because of Pentecost that had just happened not that long before. Maybe he stayed a little longer. We don't know. He was a man of great authority and great power, even wealth, if you will, even though he was a eunuch. But he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, and he's on his chariot. Verse 28. And he was reading. So he also has, he's got a scroll. You understand, normal people didn't have a scroll. They were handwritten by rabbis had to be certified. You didn't have Amazon. You didn't have Kindle. You didn't have the daily newspaper. If you had something written that was official, that wasn't cheap. I'm bringing that up so that we can understand that even though he's a eunuch, even though that he's in charge of her treasury, he's not poor and unimportant. Does that make sense? So he's reading from Isaiah. <clears throat> And the Spirit speaks to Philip again. Go near and join him in that chariot. So Philip has to run to catch up with him. I think that's great. How many times has God told us to do something and we kind of go, ah, missed it? Come on now. Haven't we done that? The Spirit tells Philip, go over there with that chariot and join him. Philip runs. We've got the heart of a true servant here. He gets up and he goes on this desert road, doesn't ask any questions, he just goes. God doesn't tell him at the beginning, you're going to see a guy, you're going to witness to him. Just go down there. Once he gets there, the, the Spirit says to him, okay, you see that guy? Go join yourself with this chariot. Philip goes running after him. <clears throat> Keep in mind, he's seeing a chariot of a rich man He's got to know, okay, this is an important person. I'm going to run up there. 
okay. God said, run up there. I'm going to run up there. I'm going to join this guy in his chariot. Okay. I'm going to jump in his taxi. That's kind of what it was. Uh, It says, go near. So verse 30, and running up, Philip heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he said, hey, you got any idea what you're reading? Just ask him a question. Just ask a simple question. Do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says to him, how am I able unless someone guides me? So he calls Philip near to him. He says, come up and sit with, come up and sit with him. And the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. And he was led like a sheep to slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearers. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of right ruling. And who shall declare his generation because his life was taken from the earth? <clears throat> and the eunuch answered Philip, and said, so that's what he was reading. Philip's already asked him, do you know what you're reading? So Philip has already heard this. The guy's reading. What's he? He's reading it out loud. He's reading this. <clears throat> Philip asked him, do you know what you're reading? I, no. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I'm, so now I'm going to ask you. About whom does this prophet say this, about himself or somebody else? So now we're seeing that this eunuch, what is it? He wants to know the truth. He's searching for truth. He's listening to a guy, what's this? He doesn't know him. This is a nobody that runs up to his taxi. Hey, what's going on in there? (laughs) And this is an important person. A wealthy man. Philip comes running up, hey, you got any idea what you're reading? That's almost an arrogant question, right? But he sees this as an opportunity. Hey, do you, do you understand what you're reading? <clears throat> so the eunuch listens to him and he goes, I, I need somebody to guide me. And he goes, so um, What's this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And then it says, and Philip opening his mouth and beginning at that scripture brought to him the good news about Yeshua. Hallelujah. Because he, he, this is a divine appointment, right? A divine appointment. And as they were going on the way, they came to some water. The eunuch poses the question. You see, over and over and over again, we're going to see here the, tr- the heart of a true searcher for truth and for God. Somebody that's truly searching for God is leading the way and open. They're looking for the truth. They just want to hear it. They know that God's going to show it to them. They're just waiting for it to show up. I think that's why when Philip shows up running alongside him, the eunuch is probably thinking, Divine appointment. I just went to Jerusalem to worship. I'm trying to read this. I'm trying to understand what it is. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, okay, well, what's going on? Yeah, come on and explain this to me. They're riding along in the chariot. Philip starts with that passage and throughout the rest of Scripture, explaining to him the truth about Yeshua and how he is the fulfillment, and he's the fulfillment of that prophecy in the very passage he was reading. The eunuch says, look, there's water. What's hindering me from getting baptized? From a total stranger. (laughs) Why? Because the eunuch wants to express his devotion to Jesus, Yeshua, and accept him as the Messiah. So Philip answers him. He goes, well... If you believe with all your heart, it is permitted. And he answered and he said, I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the very Son of God. Hallelujah, amen, right? And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. So here's what you, you have to understand. This is, still, this is all happening while they're traveling. They didn't stop. This is happening in the chariot while they're running along. <clears throat> So in verse 38 says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptizes him. 
right there. So he says, listen, if you truly believe in your heart, then yeah, it's permitted. It's got to be a heart issue. Why would Philip say that? He just saw it with Simon. He just saw it with Simon. Simon said, yeah, I believe. Simon wanted power. Simon hung along with Philip. He's seeing the miracles. Simon's like, ooh, man, this is cool. Ooh, boy, this. it says he was amazed. You have to understand, they weren't walking along and him not talking, right? <clears throat> Philip has seen all of that. Now he's got another powerful person. Hey, can I get baptized? Okay. <laughs> if you truly believe in your heart that Yeshua is the Messiah, the very Son of God, yes, you can get baptized. And he goes, man, that's exactly what I believe. Philip's like, all right, then let's do this. Philip also knows this was a divine appointment that God sent him there. Right? He understands all that. God sends him there. They get down into the water. He baptizes them. And it says, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, for he went his way rejoicing. The picture here is now some people think it's when they were walking out of the water. I think what happened was he baptized him, and when the eunuch comes up out of the water, Philip is gone. Yes, teleported away. The molecules in his body ended up somewhere else. I have no problem with that. Jesus did it with a boat full of people. Okay? <clears throat> so that's what happens. And so it's the, the eunuch. And so what, he goes, man, he's rejoicing. Where's he going to take this? He's going to take it back home to Cush. And he's a very powerful person. But he's a very powerful person that is humble, not arrogant, and not trying to... He could have bought... He could have tried, what do, you, what do I need to pay you to get this free gift? No. He's like, what do I need to do to get baptized? I want to get baptized. Man, yes, I believe it. And so he gets baptized. <clears throat> it says, Philip, however, was found in Ashdod. So he's teleported from a body of water in the middle of nowhere to Ashdod. And passing through, he brought the good news in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So what we're seeing here and why all this matters is because you've got people in the, involved in this story <clears throat> that are not what we would call uh, full blood, if you will, of the southern tribe of Judea, of Judah. Uh, you've got these... Hellenistic Jews and an Ethiopian eunuch that are getting miraculously saved. And what God is after is a true heart that's humble before him, that's not trying to gain power, and watch this, and not trying to get into the kingdom to get something. And what we see here is the difference between those that are trying to get something and those that are willing to give. And everybody that was scattered out of Jerusalem were giving, 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 even giving their lives. Philip likewise is doing the same thing, giving, 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 giving his life, his life for the, for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. Simon is wanting to get something and then the eunuch is the exact opposite of Simon. I think it's critical to understand this, especially in our day and time. When the gospel is trivialized down to this, look, go to church, walk the aisle. Man, if you can shed a tear, that'll even help. Pray the sinner's prayer, get baptized, whatever, and this is what you're going to get. <clears throat> I remember years ago, a prominent televangelist um, was having a crusade. I was coming back home from school, heading to our shop in Mesquite. I was on coming out of the, the tunnel. I'm making the turn on I-30 going east there by uh, Fair Park to tell you I know exactly where I was when it happened. 
exactly the direction because I'm listening to the radio and this guy was literally promoting his crusade. You come to my crusade, blah, 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 blah. It's going to happen tonight, blah, 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 and tomorrow night, blah, blah, blah. And you come to Jesus and you're not going to have any more problems. That's what he said. I remember it to this very day some what, 40 years ago, and I remember gripping the steering wheel so hard thinking, how many people are going to go to that? Because he had tens of thousands of people showing up at his crusades. And I thought, how many people are going to go to that? And they're going to walk an aisle, and then next month, they're going to run into a brick wall. And they're going to say, I tried that Christianity stuff, and it didn't work. And in our society today, the exodus that's happening within the Christian church is unprecedented in the Western church. To the degree that denominational leaders are worried. It's a mass exodus that's happening. Mass exodus. And those that aren't literally crumbling are shifting so radically, you can't even understand what Bible they're preaching out of. Why? Because it's still, to this point, what you can get out of this religion. Not being a part of God's kingdom. And you and I need to share the total truth of God with everybody we run across. And no matter what comes our way, we need to see it as opportunities. It's no secret. We've lost a number of people here and we've cut my salary down and I've gone back to work with my brother. You know what? I don't mind it. I actually enjoy spending time with my brother. Um, We do a lot of work. He's doing a lot of work uh, in the Highland Park and North Dallas area. Um, and with, and for a lot of people that, um, their lifestyle is totally opposite from mine. I'm going to leave it at that for right now. But I like these people and I'm looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them. And you know what I'm finding out? One in particular raised in the Baptist church. And just, I mean, left field, outside of left field. They're out, they're out of the park in left field <clears throat> and raised in a Baptist church. Doesn't surprise me when it's just religion instead of a relationship and the full teachings of what the scriptures actually say. And it's not about what we can get out of the gospel, but what can we give and how can we be a part of the kingdom? How can we be a part of the kingdom? And so I'm driving around town and thinking, you know, every time I go in a house, it's an opportunity to minister to somebody and just see where it it leads. We're even redoing uh, a house right now for an Orthodox Jewish family or a practicing Jewish family. I'm like, hallelujah. Looking for just that right opportunity when I can say something and see where it goes. Um, You know, without getting out of line and all that. And so I want you to understand that, you know, if I'm out there and I'm driving around and stuff, I'm not sitting there going, well, if those people would just give more money, I wouldn't have to be doing all this. I don't think that at all. I, I don't. Uh, I'm seeing it as, you know what? God, you're in total control, and I don't have any control over this. Um, at least the people we've lost over the last year hasn't been over doctrine. <laughs> you know, it's been for other weird things that happen. Uh, and... And that's okay. It, it, it is what it is, right? I know a lot of people here hate hearing that. It is what it is, but it is what it is. It doesn't change the fact that we can still love each other and we can still serve the kingdom and we can still try to share the gospel with people and we can still minister to people wherever we are, wherever that is. Uh, and, and do it right here and do it, more importantly, out there. Out there, um, people are dying to hear the truth of what their Bible actually says. And folks, 
They're dying. They're, they're dying because they're not hearing it. We have the truth. As the scripture says, in earthen vessels, our bodies. We need to be sharing that truth with a world that's rapidly, my goodness, going to Hades, not in a basket, in a steamboat, I mean in a torpedo. We, it's the weirdest world we live in right now where our government has to have emotional dogs during the impeachment process. Did you see that? They brought in emotional support animals. Our government, our society has all gone absolutely bonkers. Why is all of that happening? Because folks, people are dying to know what is the truth, what is truth? It's not just keep doing it, but do it harder. The truth is, Jesus came, he died on a cross to bring us into his kingdom. And this kingdom is real. It's even physical. And through our lifestyle of obedience to the King of Kings, we can be victorious. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and what? Have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean money. It means a victorious life. That even if you're going through really, really bad times, you can still at least rest in knowing that your God has got this under control and if we were to get driven out of our homes with nothing but the clothes on our backs, maybe God is just trying to get us from point A to point B to share the gospel with somebody to turn a town right side up and get it instead of being upside down. Does that make sense? So instead of it always being woe is me, woe is me, we just need to be going, God, I'm just trying to go and be where you want me to be and do what you want me to do. <clears throat> and be light in a dark place, no matter where or what is going on around us. So I, I hope you can be encouraged by this. These people lost everything. And out of the people that lost everything, we've got stories about Philip being teleported. Kind of cool. <laughs> as long as Jesus is involved, I wouldn't mind experiencing that, right? If it's some other thing, I don't know, you know, and I don't want to be something I'm smoking or taking. I mean, it needs to be Jesus, right? Uh, if they can experience that, today is no different than that day. Today is no different. We are no different than them. All we've got to be is more like the eunuch and less like Simon. Less like, what can I get out of this? Where can I go so that I can get? Instead of, God, how can I blossom? You've heard this. How can I blossom where you've planted me? How can I be a positive witness right where I am? This is where we are. How can we be a more powerful witness right here? I would say as individuals as we go and even just invite people to come and just, you know what, just be nice to people. Just for crying out loud, be nice. Amen?